All right, it's uh, January 13th, 2022. We're gonna begin the planning board meeting, uh, not with the closed session, as it says in the agenda, but with a consent agenda, and we'll vote on, the, on a motion to go into closed session after we finish the consent items. Um, so, could we get a motion to approve the resolutions? Uh, Jerry says she's so moved on approval of resolutions. And Carol Rubin, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? <clears throat> that is approved. Uh, I don't think we have any record plats. Uh, 4725 Cheltenham Drive sketch plan and site plan extension request. Uh, move approval on the extension request. And Carol Rubin, second. All in favor? Aye. 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 And opposed? That is approved unanimously. The minutes from December 16th. Uh, Jerry says she move approval. And I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, opposed? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Was I there on the 16th? I think you were. Um, actually, I was. No? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I approve. Okay. So that's unanimous. Uh, could we get a motion to go into closed session to uh, consider approval of the closed session minutes? Uh, Jerry says she's so moved. And I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. So I guess we will go to closed session now. I'm, I'm sorry. Could I get the, um, uh, the second for that motion, please? Uh, Parthop was the second, I believe. Or okay. Just want to make sure. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you all in closed session in a, in a minute.
We are ready for item three, St. John Newman Catholic Parasite Plan Amendment uh, with Tamika Graham. Thank you, uh, Chair Anderson, and uh, good morning, commissioners. Let me just make sure I'm in presentation mode here. Okay, uh, for the record, uh, my name is Tamika Graham. I'm with uh, the Mid-County Division, and I'm presenting uh, site plan number 81981046A. Staff is recommending approval of the St. John Newman Catholic Parish site plan amendment for a building addition and new site improvements, along with the conditions enumerated in the staff report and minor revisions that we'll present today. The site is within the Upper West Village area of the Montgomery Village Master Plan boundary area. It's within a half mile of a mix of detached and attached, detached and attached residential uses, religious and educational uses and open space. But more specifically, the subject property is approximately four acres. Uh, it's located at 900 Warfield Road. It's positioned in the southwest quadrant of the intersection of Warfield and Goshen Roads. Uh, existing ingress and egress occur from both of these roads. The property is zoned residential 200 and it's located within the Montgomery Village overlay zone. The site is developed with various improvements. Uh, the main building, uh, which is a one story, uh, is approximately 16,000 square feet. Um, the site is also constrained by uh, a colonial pipeline company easement uh, that runs southwest to northwest and bisects the property into northern and southern halves. And then there is an existing 10-foot wide public utility easement along both the Warfield Road and Goshen Road frontages. The existing church building, the parking and other improvements were constructed following the original site plan approval in 1981 under the town sector zoning district. And then in 1997, an amendment was approved by the board to allow uh, approximately 3,700 square feet uh, for an educational and uh, chapel addition. Uh, but the site plan validity period expired in 2000 and the addition was never built. The subject property also went through the sectional map amendment process to be rezoned to the R200. Um, that was in accordance with the recommendations from the Montgomery Village Master Plan, and that was acted upon uh, by the County Council in 16. So this application proposes uh, a single-story addition to the north side of the existing building for up to 6,000 square feet. That would bring the total development to uh, 22,708 square feet. This addition is to accommodate um, uses or spaces such as um, a conference room, parish office, and adoration chapel, uh, but none of the existing, use, uh, existing seats within the main sanctuary uh, will be increased. Uh, along with some of the existing walls, a portion of the existing uh, building entrance canopy uh, will be demolished. 
Um, and as you can see here, um, the outline of the, the easement area, which the building will not encroach upon. Uh, the application also proposes some new sidewalks along the front and eastern sides of, uh, of the building. Uh, there will also be a small plaza at the entrance, uh, as well as an accessible ramp that leads to the main entrance. Some of the uh, improvements within the, the parking lot include uh, a concrete walk and steps to help facilitate some of the pedestrian traffic to uh, the main entrance. Um, to address life safety uh, requirements, they're proposing a new fire hydrant near uh, the southeast corner of the church building. Uh, that's near the vehicular uh, access point off of Goshen Road. Some of the existing parking spaces will be restriped and there will be new stormwater management facilities uh, within the parking area where my mouse is hovering. So regarding uh, vehicular access to the site, the existing uh, points of access are to remain. Uh, the Montgomery Village Master Plan recommends uh, a shared use path that's along the south side of uh, Warfield Street or Warfield Road, uh, which is currently covered under um, the Goshen Road South MCDOT Capital Improvement Project. So to satisfy their uh, frontage improvements, the applicant is required to make a payment in lieu of construction uh, for MCDOT's future um, construction of the shared use path. Uh, currently, this uh, capital project is in preliminary design phase. Based on the um, existing number of fixed seats, the applicant is required to provide three uh, bike parking spaces, which they're proposing uh, two on the exterior of the building at the entrance, and then one will be located internal to the building. There are 198 parking spaces and new landscaping and lighting improvements are proposed uh, to the surface uh, parking area. The surface uh, parking lot has to have uh, landscape islands that are um, a minimum of 100 square feet and that comprise a minimum of 5% of the total parking area. Um, in this case, the amendment complies with the 5% uh, because they're providing 23.4%. Uh, uh, with the existing and new uh, landscaping. Uh, but then there's an additional requirement that each uh, lot has to maintain a minimum tree canopy of 25% coverage at 20 years of growth. Uh, and with a combination of the shading from the existing and what they're proposing in canopy trees, the application is slightly beneath the requirement with 23.1%. Uh, so the applicant requests approval of a parking waiver to modify the zoning ordinance for um, parking lot landscaping and outdoor requirements. So they're requesting this uh, relief based on uh, the fact that tree plantings can't be uh, located within that uh, pipeline easement area uh, that I mentioned. Um, there are also um, areas that are outside of that easement uh, are really constrained as a result of um, the original parking lot designed. Uh, there's not a ton of flexibility um, and so this really restricts the applicant from fully meeting the 25% uh, coverage requirement. But I will point out to, uh, to counterbalance, uh, the applicant is pro uh, providing the 23.4% of landscape areas, uh, whereas 5% is, is the minimum. 
so the planning board uh, may waive uh, these requirements if the alternative design satisfies the intent, uh, which is to ensure that adequate parking is provided in a safe and efficient manner. Um, these findings um, are discussed in this, the staff report and satisfies uh, this request. Uh, moving on to architecture, uh, the elevation shows that um, you know, the applicant's architectural intent of the addition is to make sure that it has a cohesive uh, aesthetic uh, with the existing building. Uh, the existing building fenestration is uh, defined by uh, many tall and narrow windows, and this is meant to carry over uh, to the new church walls along with a brick uh, veneer. The top image is the west elevation that's uh, closest to the existing uh, residential. Um, you can also see here that the roof line is compatible uh, with the existing. Uh, the existing building height is 36 feet. The proposed is 22 feet. Um, and given how far back uh, the building is uh, situated from the adjoining roads, this is not going to have any impact to the surrounding properties. And then you can see at the bottom image is uh, the north elevation that uh, will face out into the parking lot. There's no FARs on the property. Um, the applicant, uh, they do have a T exemption from Article 2 of the Forest Conservation Law because the site is a modification to an existing uh, non-residential developed property and it satisfies all the criteria uh, that includes, but it's not limited to, um, you know, the fact that there's no special protection area. And also the proposal is not increasing the development by more than 50%. There are uh, 29 specimen trees on site. Uh, of those trees, four would need to be removed to accommodate the expanded uh, building footprint. You can see those uh, crossed out in red there. Um, they conflict with the concrete walk uh, that's proposed between the building and the parking and also some utility work that must occur uh, near the southeastern corner of the site. Uh, the applicant is proposing uh, 10 mitigation trees as required. Uh, the proposed building footprint modifications and the architectural renderings, as we've seen, do not alter the overall character or impact the development with, the, with respect to the original site plan findings. Uh, the modifications will not affect the compatibility of the development with the surrounding neighborhood. Uh, the proposed amendment is also uh, in conformance with um, the development standards of the zone, as well as um, the recommendations of the Montgomery Village Master Plan. A new adequate public facilities finding was made for this application under uh, the growth and infrastructure policy. Um, a traffic study is not required to satisfy the LATR guidelines and the site is not subject to the annual schools tests. We found that all other public facilities and services such as water, sewer and fire uh, will be adequate to serve the site and all of, all of these other findings are detailed in the staff report. Uh, the conditions of approval uh, in the staff report do replace um, in its entire, entirety the conditions that were uh, tied to uh, the prior site plan resolution dated 1997. Um, you all received uh, a letter of justification from the applicant asking the board to revise uh, the condition for site plan surety requirements and um, which the letter outlined the reasons for the request. Uh, the board has the authority to grant the request under um, section 5973K, which, uh, which is outlined 
The granting of this request would uh, be reflected in what you see before you, the revised uh, blue text um, to be inserted and uh, the red striped to be removed. Uh, 13 clarifies the trigger for landscaping and lighting prior to the issuance of the use and occupancy uh, certificate and uh, 14 for surety. Since the applications, uh, minor improvements are all on site uh, and they're governed by the site plan enforcement, staff believes that the request would not impact the implementation of the improvements. And in closing, the applicant has met all of the property signage, noticing and submittal requirements. They've also held their uh, virtual pre-submission meeting uh, during the application review period and subsequent to the posting of the staff report. We have not received any public correspondence on this application. Uh, and so for all the reasons outlined herein, staff recommends approval with conditions of the site plan amendment for uh, the St. John Newman Catholic Parish as enumerated in the staff report and modified herein. Uh, thanks and happy to take questions. I, I um, <clears throat> Mr. Chair, I have a question. Um, so I'd like to understand a little bit uh, more of the analysis that you all did on waiving the surety agreement uh, requirement. Um, I just want to make sure that legal is comfortable, that um, as well as the, the uh, uh, IRC uh, division is comfortable, that there is going to be sufficient um, ability to enforce you know, it's not just about property on um, or site plan improvements that go onto private property, um, but it, it deals with our ability to make sure that there is um, a, a, um, a mechanism for enforcement short of having to go to, um, you know, take, take the uh, applicant to court for enforcement. So I just want to make sure that everybody uh, that would be responsible for enforcement of the site plan um, improvements are comfortable in this particular circumstance. I don't want to create any kind of precedent um, that we would <clears throat> that we would waive simply because the site plan improvements have to be on the property. There are other reasons that we want site plans. I mean, I understand the 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 point of the um, the the probably more expensive of them is the. Uh, are the improvements that are being done through a payment in lieu. But I just want to make sure that everybody's done a really clear analysis of how we're going to enforce um, the site plan requirements. Thank you, Commissioner Rubin, for the for the question. This is Matt Folden, Regulatory Supervisor for the Mid-County Division. Um, so we did a thorough analysis based on the applicant's request. And also in this specific case, because it's an amendment and we have a very limited amount of improvements on the site, uh, we felt that this could be very easily handled by the site plan enforcement mechanisms that we have at our disposal. And so in looking at the uh, zoning ordinance in the 59.7.3.4.K.4, it says the planning board may establish a bond and um, in this particular case, um, we felt that it was just appropriate to handle it through the site plan enforcement. I, Does that I, answer your I, question? question. Could, could I add to that real quick um, uh, for Commissioner Rubin? We did have a lot of discussions internally, this is Robert Cronenberg for the record. We had a lot of discussions with, uh, with 
IRC, specifically Josh K, who monitors the program for our enforcement uh, for for planning, and he coordinated also with uh, DPS, who reviews part of our, you know, as part of our our DRC, but also the enforcement arm for us. Uh, so we had a lot of discussions internally about the request. Clearly, we don't want this to be a habit. Um, and that's one of the things that we discussed, that this is kind of a one-off, it's an amendment, uh, but it's a larger amendment, but one that we felt like the, the actual, the teeth of the site plan itself uh, gave us um, the ability to be able to enforce it uh, through DPS uh, and internally. Um, so, it, and we've had discussions with our legal staff as well as to what's appropriate, what's not, and, you know, do we have the ability to, you know, to, um, provide the mechanism through the site plan. And so I, I think we got that that nod uh, as well from our legal department. So we, we do feel like uh, the site plan gives us that ability and the authority to enforce it given the, the minimal nature of what's being proposed. Great, I Great. just wanted I just, to make sure, sure, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure that we have everything on the record yep. for future requests, because I'm, I'm anticipating we're gonna get continue. We, I think we've gotten them in the past, and I just want to make sure that everyone understands, all applicants understand that it's a case-by-case -case analysis and simply because um, of the, the reasons that were presented by the applicant. I think they had some good good justification, but I just want to make sure that for future, it doesn't, this isn't going, as you said, uh, Mr. Cronenberg, this doesn't create a habit. Right, and I appreciate you putting that on the record and for the other consultants listening. I hope they uh, they take note too that, you know, we, this isn't a habit. The enforcement for, you know, through the bond is something that we have worked up uh, or that we've worked for uh, for a long time to make sure that, that the enforcement of these site plans is true and accurate. And, uh, and we have worked really well and closely with DPS uh, to make sure that that's something that um, that they feel is as important as, as we do uh, to enforce the conditions of approval. So thank you. I appreciate that, that nod. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, uh, did the applicant want to say anything bef um, else? I didn't want to uh, cut off their opportunity to speak. I see we have uh, at least one representative of the church, uh, an engineer, an architect, it's not required if you're just here for questions that's that's fine but just didn't want to uh, uh, skip over you hi this is this is Dylan macro uh, with MHG we're the civil engineer on the project and I'm here with Stephen Crum also with MHG and Marlon Lorenzi the project architect with Frank and lotion architects as well as Monsignor Pankey with um, st. John Newman Catholic Parish and I just wanted to, to, to thank uh, parking planning staff uh, and, and DPS staff for uh, their continued cooperation throughout the site plan review process. I know um, this was not an easy one, uh, even though it's not, not an overly large project, there was a lot, of, um, a lot of coordination needed through all the agencies and consultants. So um, I just wanted to, to thank everyone for their time um, and help with the, with the process and uh, just let you know that we'd be happy to answer any additional questions that you may have uh, for the project. Okay, uh, if there are questions or comments, uh, now's the time, otherwise a motion would be in order. Uh, Jerry says she just had one comment that uh, 
just for the record, there's a Newman Prep in the Boston's Back Bay area uh, that I had attended way back in the time. So, uh, but I'm willing to make a uh, approval of the uh, re resolution and um, with specific conditions and adoption of uh, the amendments. Okay, can we get a second on the motion to approve the site plan amendment? And I'll second. This is Commissioner. Okay. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That is approved. Thanks very much. And we'll see some of you back in a minute for item four, which is the Sandy Spring Ashton Rural Overlay Zone.
All right, uh, now we're going to consider ZTA 2111, which is um, designed to amend the uh, Sandy Spring Ashton Rural Village Overlay Zone. And I think we have Ben Burbert here, along with Jason Sartori, and maybe others to tell us about it. Thank you, uh, Planning Board Chair. For the record, Ben Burbert with the Countywide Planning and Policy Team. Um, I do have some of the upcounty planning uh, staff on the call with us this morning who did work on the Ashton Village Center Sector Plan in case there's any questions that arise. Uh, and I do have before you this morning, uh, ZTA 2111, as you said, the amendments to the Sandy Spring Ashton Rural Village Overlay Zone. Um, staff is recommending that the Planning Board transmit comments to the District Council supporting ZTA 2111 uh, with some very minor adjustments that I'll get into in a minute. Uh, just as a, a little bit of background, the uh, overlay zone was first recommended as part of the 1998 Sandy Spring Ashton Master Plan, and it was created in, with the intent to provide greater protections for things like building heights, density, land use, compatibility, a lot of other things that really weren't easily possible with the old C1 and C2 zones that were prevalent in this area at the time. Um, during the review of the Ashton Rural Village Center Sector Plan, however, it was determined that the, uh, the new CR family of zones, in particular the CRN and CRT zones, um, can do a pretty good job of protecting the rural character and have a lot of these sort of design requirements included within them, but it couldn't get us all the way. Uh, so there was a recommendation to make some changes to the overlay zone, um, generally to scale back some of the provisions in it and to kind of remove some duplicity that was happening with both the zoning requirements and the overlay zone itself. Um, and these were all recommended through that sector plan. Um, just as a little bit of a reminder, the board did transmit uh, to council on November 8th, 2021, a request to actually introduce this ZTA. You, you have seen this before not too long ago, and council did make that introduction on December 14th of 2021. Uh, during that introduction, there was a little bit of an attempt by staff, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more detail in a minute, uh, to streamline the text a little bit further than what uh, staff, you know, planning staff had initially recommended. Um, and this particularly affects what was subsection D, new subsection C, the development standards, and the way that they're interpreted. And so what's on the screen here is the sort of ZTA that we had sent over for their request for introduction. And what I've kind of shown here is the areas kind of in the olive green are where these sort of deletion brackets start and stop within this subsection. And what I've highlighted in yellow is kind of what's to pay attention to and what inadvertently is sort of removed by the uh, way it was actually introduced by the council staff. And so if you look a little bit at the second screen here, you'll see that the deletion brackets um, no longer kind of carved out the old number two where a lot is a residential zone. It goes all the way down to the subsection C of that. It just leaves in the provision talking about height of 35 feet. But after this was introduced, we kind of looked at this and said, well, wait a minute, it's not clear what is being limited to 35 feet. We've inadvertently deleted this reference to where a lot is in a residential zone. And so the third kind of iteration of this, which is what we are now recommending the board recommend the council to adopt, um, does still delete most of the subsection C for development standards, and it now reinserts where a lot is any residential zone, um, just so that we are clear what is actually being limited to 35 feet here. Um, and then again, just another look at that, 
in a more zoomed in fashion. Again, we would add where a lot is in a residential zone, and then we would continue with the phrase, the maximum height for all buildings is 35 feet, however, dot, dot, dot. Um, there was a racial equity social justice impact statement prepared for ZTA 2111. It was found that this would have little to no impact on RESJ efforts within the county because this is pretty much a technical update to existing policies that are already on the books. Uh, so in conclusion, staff is recommending the board transmit to the district council memo supporting 2111 with that minor modification that I've just discussed today. And that concludes my presentation. Okay, thank you for that summary. Are there uh, questions or comments for Ben or other staff? If not, uh, is there a motion to transmit these comments to the district council indicating that we support the CTA with the minor modifications that we just heard about? Uh, Jerry says she so moved. And I'll second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Uh, very good. That's unanimous. Um, so we'll see you all in a minute for item five, which is the Heritage Gardens conditional use.
Ash. Okay, we're ready for item five, which is the Heritage Gardens conditional use application. Uh, and for that, we have Josh Penn to summarize the staff's assessment of this uh, project. Good morning, for the record, Josh Penn uh, with Upcoming Planning Division. Today we have Heritage Gardens, a conditional use and forest conservation plan numbered CU 202201. Uh, the project is located at 10701 South Glen Road in Potomac, Maryland, along the northeast side of South Glen Road and the northwest, northwest of the intersection with Norton Road. property is currently improved with the remnants of the fourth presbyterian school uh, you can see it here in the center of the site it is combined of three parcels parcel b parcels 896 and 950 896 and 950 are at the front of the site towards south glen and are currently undeveloped just to give you an idea of the topography on the site if you're standing at south glen road and looking towards the rear of the property line, you can see the elevation change as it goes across the property with a dip here in the middle at, you know, so it goes way down in topography then back up at the rear property line. And if you look at it from the northwest corner to the southeast corner, you see it's very high on the northwest side, goes way down and then starts to come back in the southeast corner. The neighborhood is generally bounded by the southern property line of the single family homes that front South Glen Road residential properties with access off Edison Road and Dobbins Drive to the west, Edison and Dobbins. The residential properties front Broad Green Terrace. Broad Green Terrace is up here. It uh, Falls Road Golf Course and the, R, uh, the RE2 homes off of Lockland Road. Um, not directly boarding the property, but proximate to the property is the, uh, sorry, RE2 house on it and RE2 home facing South Glen. So it's here. Okay, um, the proposed use is for a residential care facility. It is set up in a number of different building types. You have six duplo duplexes, of which contain 12 units, 11 triplexes, which have 33 units, and the lodge, which has 29 independent living facility, uh, independent living units and 105 assisted beds. Um, you can see here the general layout of the site moving into renderings of what the duplex unit on the left here looks like and the triplex on the right. You can kind of see that they emulate what a typical P Potomac style home would look like. Then this is the lodge building, which is also the where we have the residential care for the assisted living and some independent units. You can see that it's kind of tucked into that top topographic drop from the Northwest. And you can see here the front of the building. Um, we just wanted to kind of bring into uh, account the massing of this, taking away all other details, just looking at building footprints and roadways to kind of see what it looks like. Compare and staff found it was comparable to the surrounding areas, and the mass of the lodge was offset by elevation changes. But you can see that the footprints of the duplex and triplexes are very similar to the homes in the RE2 surrounding area, and that this the synagogue down here is large building institutional it's not that much smaller than this building here just in different configuration uh, so staff wanted to show you that um, 
during the review of the process, we did have an inherent characteristic that was accidentally omitted from the staff report, which is that there is an inherent characteristic for the residential care facilities that, that you have a building large enough to house the proposed number of residents. Um, so staff wanted to let you know that was reviewed and considered as part of this application and was accidentally omitted from the staff report. Uh, master plan conformance. This is part of the 2002 Math Potomac Subregion Master Plan. Um, it does re recognize that the Potomac is largely developed and recommends infill development. Um, see, subregion is encouraged to additional senior housing. Uh, this is senior housing. Uh, the plan recommends preservation of existing forests and properties, especially called out in fold out map F, um, which labeled stand FA as high priority. Um, staff will go into this further in the back, but the applicant is doing mitigation for the clearing some of that forest stand. Um, the proposed residential community will be subject to conditional use and is consistent with subregion's statement for appropriateness for senior housing. Um, we do have landscaping screening requirements per the zone. Um, you can see that under the zoning code, they have two options, option A or option B. Landscape screening, you can hear, you can see on the western side of the property, they're choosing option B. On the eastern side of the property, they are choosing option A, while they're being retained forest up through here. This is along the eastern property line. They did to choose option A for the eastern property line. You can see a typical section here. Um, it does meet all the requirements for those for option A. And along the western property line, you have option B. You can see the required and the proposed. It does meet all the requirements of the zoning code. And the application does provide necessary landscape screening as required under the zoning code. Um, with this, we had a transportation, local area transportation review. Uh, we looked at it, and for this one, we had a net increase of 30 p.m. person trips and a reduction of 34 a.m. trips. It's exempt from LATR review. The school has closed operations in 2014, but the tr trips remain credited as per the LATR policy on existing use. Um, school was in operation for more than 12 years and 75% of the buildings constructed 12 years ago. What we're talking about is the credit here of the existing private school, which results in negative trips here, a modest increase here, and negative trips here, and a modest increase here. Um, as part of the review, we did receive a question from the hearing examiner, which this application would be going on to, which was that he asked staff, I would like planning, planning's opinion on whether traffic credits under the LATR can be applied to proposed uses when the prior use has been abandoned or whether the planning has general practice in regards to the detailed in the applicant's responsive motion. Um, so staff did respond to the hearing examiner stating that under the 2021 local area transportation review guidelines, it has a couple of things here. It's 75% of the originally approved development were issued greater than 12 years ago, and that it has been used for more than 12 years. All the permits for the application were approved uh, prior more than 12 years ago. The most recent permit was issued in 2010 and the property has been operating as a school for more than 12 years. It was originally started as a school in 1966 and continued on to 2014. It became the fourth Presbyterian school in 1999. Having satisfied these criteria, the 95 trips were credited to the trip calculation per the policy of the LAT, LATR guidelines. 
We also have a condition up front for a sidewalk, which must be constructed along South Glen Road. Uh, and the internal sidewalk must extend on both sides of South Glen Road. Sidewalk is a requirement in the complete streets, and there's no exemption provided by Chapter 49. Uh, internal circulation, vehicular connectivity via private driveway system, sidewalk provided in front of all dwellings, connectivity provided throughout the site, and there is a safe and adequate internal network. Environmental guidelines. There was a natural resource inventory done for the property, and it was approved in February 6th of 2019. Uh, the property is within the Watts Brush Watershed, which is 1P use class. The property does contain steep, slo steep slopes, streams, wetlands, floodplains, and environmental buffers. There are large specimen trees distributed across the entire property. Um, there are some environmental impacts associated with this application. About 1.02 acres of Stream Valley buffer is not being placed into category and easement due to the driveway sanitary line crossing and the adaptive reuse of the existing Butler building, which is going to become, which was the school's gymnasium, is going to become the clubhouse for the, for the community. It is an existing building, um, and we are not recommending it be torn down, but that's why we made this thing. And to offset the encroachment, Stream Valley buffer encroachment and part of clear and the clearing of part of stand FA as mentioned above in the master plan conformance section, they're offering to plant 2.29 acres of supplemental planting within the Stream Valley buffer. And they're also removing all existing impervious surfaces uh, within the Stream Valley buffer with the exception of what we noted above. Um, the preliminary forest conservation plan submitted with this application conforms with the environmental guidelines. The forest conservation plan is uh, 30.6 acres. There's 12.73 acres of forest, 2.81 acres of forest clearing, and 8.7 acres of forest save. It did not generate any additional afforestation reforestation requirement. There's a tree variance request with the application. The application, applicant proposes to remove 42 trees and impact 20, 21 variance trees. This will result in a mitigation. They are removing 938 inches of DBH and replaced at a one to one to four ratio uh, using three inch calipers as trees. The mitigation would be 235 inches or 79 three-inch caliper trees planted on site. Staff is recommending approval of the variance request. Um, community concerns. As of the posting of the staff report and this hearing, staff has not, written, has not received any written comments. However, we have had com phone calls with uh, civic associations and neighboring properties, uh, kind of stating that their previous concerns are still there and that they should be providing comments either prior to the planning board hearing or prior to the hearing examiner's hearing. Um, from the Office of Zoning and Administrative Appeals, staff did receive a pre-hearing statement of resident opponents indicating with their concerns and what they were going to oppose the application on. Uh, you should have received that in your uh, supplemental information yesterday. Uh, and it, when it was introduced to the record, but I just wanted to go over the summary of that report, of that statement. <clears throat> this is from the hearing examiner's files and was not introduced to staff directly. We got it from the hearing examiner's office. Um, they had issues with the ownership and management structure, ownership units in respect to maintaining residential care and community, master plan conformance, density massing, 
density and arrangement of units, inadequate screening, frequency of vehicle trips, and impact on the economic value of neighboring homes. Um, they also believe that the application is incomplete without a traffic study. And that's where the generation of the hearing examiner's question about the credited trips came in. Um, staff does believe that most of these issues have been already addressed in the staff report and the presentation, but we're more than happy to address any questions that the board may have. Um, staff recommends approval with conditions to be transmitted to the hearing examiner. Um, with the recommendation conditions proposed conforms all applicable requirements of the zoning code. Uh, the subject is consistent with the recommendations of the Potomac Subregion Master Plan. Approval of the requested conditional use will not cause any undue harm or adverse impact. There are no traffic, circulation, noise, and environmental issues associated with the application provided that the recommendations are met. Uh, the application does meet the requirements of Chapter 22A. The conditional use will be subject to a preliminary plan if it proceeds forward. Um, with that being said, there was a revised and restated staff report that was posted on January 26th after the original one was posted. There were some small edits throughout the report and several larger edits that were shown that will be shown here on the slides. The version that the planning board received in their packet is the black line that already includes all these changes. For condition four was updated to revise the to reflect the appropriate section. Condition six was updated to reflect the appropriate section of the code. Condition 14 was added to ensure that the signage for the property would be in compliance with the zoning code. The landscaping section was updated with new figures and some of the, the little changes that happened at the final submission. A table was added for clarification on the screening requirements and figure 11 was updated to reflect the newest plans. So on page 28, the signage section was updated to review and uh, review the signage requirements in compliance with the code. F is recommending approval of the preliminary forest conservation plan and the conditional use. And staff is here for any questions that you may have. I see we have a couple of folks who are signed up to speak. Uh, and I wanted to turn to them first, unless uh, any of the board members have something they really want to um, get on the table right away. Uh, Suzanne Lee and Marie Brigham are here. Uh, Ms. Lee, are you there? I am right here. Thank you. Yes. Um, what, go uh, ahead. I, so, yeah, okay. We see you now. Good morning. My name is Susan. Excuse me. Got it. Right. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. We just I just want to let you know you're yes, you are on camera and we hear you. So yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay. Great, thanks. Good morning. My name is Susan Lee. I'm the current vice president of the West Montgomery County Citizens Association. We oppose the conditional use application as currently proposed and will present multiple objections during the OZA proceedings. Today I'm focusing on one portion of the proposal. We request that you reject that aspect of the site plan and the staff recommendation supporting it that constructs the lodge complex. That is the largest structure in the proposal, four stories, 102 beds, three dining rooms, 75 parking spaces, and the adjoining recreational complex at the far back corner of these 30 acres. This area is composed entirely of prized riparian forest buffer, streams, stream valley buffers, Floodplains, floodplain buffers, 
wetlands, steep slopes with highly erodible soil, and a protected priority forest stand. As such, the proposed construction violates multiple local state and federal state statutes, regulations, and guidelines. Furthermore, because the complex requires about five acres, there are multiple other areas on this otherwise flat grassy site where it could be built and still leave probably over 15 acres for the proposed independent living cottages. In particular, construction of the lodge at the proposed location violates the plain language of the Potomac Subregion Master Plan, the county's environmental guidelines, the forest conservation statute, and the Maryland non-tidal wetlands regulations, and would be inconsistent with the planning board's previous decisions involving these requirements. First, there's the destruction of the forest strand, right where the lodge is being constructed. When the master plan on page 13 requires that that specific forest stand be preserved intact in order to, quote, prevent fragmentation and maintain stream valley buffers. Montgomery County is one of the counties in the state of Maryland, where by statute, the master plan provisions have the force and effect of law and are not merely advisory. The Maryland non Title wetlands regulations and the county's environmental guidelines that are a mix of local, state, and federal statutes and are incorporated by reference in the county's forest, forest conservation statute prohibit construction in streams and wetlands and their buffers, except for very limited public uses. Page 17 of the environmental guidelines states specifically, no buildings, structures, impervious surfaces or activities requiring clearing or grading will be permitted in stream buffers except for infrastructure uses such as sewer lines and bikeways and trails. Furthermore, the proposal fails to comply with the requirements for analysis and implementation necessary to determine if the stream and wetland buffers must be extended to encompass adjacent steep slopes. The environmental guidelines on page seven state specifically after um, extensive analysis in all kinds of tables and calculations that if the stream buffer encompasses the toe of a steep slope, the buffer will be expanded beyond to include the entire slope. The staff and the applicant failed entirely to make these required calculations. To begin with, in order to do this, section 22A.00.01.06, A-3 of the Forest Conservation Statute requires that the National Resource Inventory identify all slopes 25% or greater and slopes between 15 and 25% associated with erodible soils. The applicant failed to do that making the calculation impossible, and in fact, no buffer expansion calculations have been provided. This, even though just a quick glance indicates that there were, that there are stream buffers that should have been expanded, including up the slope where the lodge is proposed for construction. And I might point out on the, the NRI, it was really interesting. They had that category of steep slopes, but there was nothing there. And in every other NRI that I have seen, you have a shaded area and then through the entire site, it should have been shaded where those uh, steep slopes were because it clearly were. The entire lodge complex will be constructed in a combination of stream valley buffers and on steep slopes, steep slopes with highly erodible soil. 
and on a priority forest stand, and the planning board should reject it as, curr in curr as currently posed, proposed in its current location. The staff recommendation here is in sharp contrast and inconsistent with the planning board's decision in, in many other cases, including preliminary plan number 120-160-180, a relatively recent decision on a Glen Mill Road site further upstream in the Watts Branch watershed. That site on the Piney Branch likewise has stream valley and wetland buffers and steep slopes. It was clear that the planning board would absolutely not allow any construction or disturbance in the stream valley buffer or the wetland buffer, including the expanded buffers. The planning board staff member testified regarding the guideline tables to demonstrate how long and large the expanded buffers should be. Those guidelines address what is considered steep the definition of adjacent, et cetera. There was never any doubt that the stream and the wetland buffers had to be protected. What we at West Montgomery objected to was the accuracy of the calculation of the length of the expansion up to steep slopes. None of that's been done here by the applicant or the staff when clearly there are adjacent steep slopes. Now to my picks, I have four picks and I thank the staff so much. I've never tried to share anything on any one of these. The first one just tells you typically what it's like in those 10 acres that they're proposing to construct, put the construction in. The tip of what the area looks like, there are two streams on the property and they are both flow right through this area on which they want to build the lodge complex. And unfortunately, this is pretty much typical because of runoff, and even the stronger, stronger wet weather events that we've had the last couple of years, the stream beds are already eroding, the trees are falling in, and as indicated by reports of the neighbors whose abutting properties have been flooded more frequently in recent years. If you are standing there and you look right exactly where this picture was taken and you just turn left, you'll see picture number two, if you wouldn't mind sliding over to picture number two. So the staff could give me the next picture. Great, thank you so much. This is the um, the gym building. This is the um, the gym building that they proposed to retain and in fact expand the parking around it. It's undisputed that three quarters of that building built multiple years ago to be a gym for the abandoned school and the entire area surrounding it is in the Stream Valley buffer. Three quarters of the building. The floodplain buffer is actually next to that gutter down spout on the corner. Erosion continues and the stream keeps getting closer. As you can see how far it's already cut in towards that, towards that building. And a few more good storms and the building may even be in the stream. And now if you could turn to picture number three, um, if you, thanks so much. So here's the full building, the back, the back corner that we looked at is to the right. And the stream buffer, the stream buffer goes as far up, when you look at the windows and you look to the far left, the stream valley buffer cuts right where the third window is, about between the second and third. So you can see how much of that, and now what they're proposing, of course, is that that be incorporated into this larger lodge complex. It'll have, um, I mean, they're gonna take out some of their old buildings that are on the stream buffer now, but they're clearly going to continue to use this one and the stream buffer that's around it. Um, let's see. And so if you could go to the next picture. Uh, Coming up. 
Is it there? I not quite see it. Great, thank you. So this is the other side of the gem building. It shows you the, um, the delineated wetlands. You can see they're even wet now um, in the middle of the middle of the winter. Um, and you can see that this area from the wetlands over to the to the um, the um, the gym building are all going to be developed. Most of them are still in the stream valley buffer. And then up to the right, you'll see the beginning of the steep slope. It's sort of off off to the right. And if you follow that steep slope around behind the gym building, you'll find the other part of the stream valley buffer. And it, in fact, is adjacent um, to the steep slope. And that's the one we feel should really be calculated. It's also all those trees will go and all those trees on the steep slope. That's where the forest stand is located. So all we're asking to do is that uh, you do the right thing, that you follow your pre pre previous precedent. There's no reason why they can't put this whole complex up where it should be. It shouldn't be, they keep saying that it's nestled in, in the slope. Well, yeah, that's a steep, erodible slope that's supposed to be protected. That it's way down low, that's because they've put it right down into the, uh, into the stream valley buffers. So we ask that you reject the location there and that you not recommend to the hearing examiner that it be placed there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Is Marie Brigham there? I think we see her, but she, it looks like you're muted, Ms. Brigham. You want to hit the um, microphone button, which is probably, I'm guessing, is going to be on the top part of your screen. There will probably be a line through a speaker or microphone. There you Did go. Yes, you got okay. it. We hear you. Okay. So I hate to kind of follow up on Susan because she said a lot of what I've said. But anyway, um, my name is Marie Brigham, and I live at 11021 Dobbins Drive, which abuts the property seeking the conditional use for Heritage Potomac Gardens. My house is at the top of the hill above where the present gym is located and where the applicant is seeking to build their lodge. I've lived at this address for 30 years this spring and I know the school property well. My daughter spent many summers at camp there and the rest of the year in the riding program. I know about the bridal hiking trail, which used to be um, intact. It started on the property and followed the Kilgore Branch stream to the one lane bridge at South Glen and Glen and Glen Mill Road. And then you could go all the way down to the Watts Branch stream to the river. And over the years that I have lived here, I have watched the stream get deeper and wider. And it is now overflowing its banks whenever we have heavy downpours of rain. And there's a huge ravine that's cut across the, what was the former trail path, making it impossible to cross now. Many trees are uprooting and crashing because of the erosion and deterioration of the property in the stream valley buffer and on the slope to the stream. The preliminary forest conservation plan does not adequately show that the stream valley buffer and lowlands will be protected. The, gym, the gymnasium was built on one of the lowest areas on the property and as Susan just um, showed is partially in the stream buffer. The area behind the proposed lodge and the gym is slated to be cleared of trees for additional impervious service in that area. And in addition to removing the trees in this area, 
I counted over 70 trees, which are going to be removed on the rest of the property. Um, the entire property is the low point of our surrounding neighborhoods and rainwater runoff flows through it to get to the stream. The proposed heavy coverage with large buildings and new roads are going to increase the flooding. And this in turn is going to make it increasingly difficult for even WSSC to maintain its lines through the property. Um, I would ask that these issues be addressed before signing off on the, on the forest conservation plan. Thank you. Uh, that's all I have. Very good. Um, I just need a short break because I drank way too much coffee this morning. So uh, let's just take two minutes and we'll be right back. And I think I'm going to probably turn first to the staff on some of these issues uh, before we get to the uh, applicant. But uh, give us a couple minutes. No need to sign off or anything. We'll be right back.
Okay, we're back from our break. Um, I wanted to turn to our staff. I heard a number of things, and others are in the written materials, but I, um, so if you want me to, I could go, you know, on the point by point of what mm -hmm. I heard, but I just want to maybe just give the staff an opportunity to explain the analysis of, uh, you know, this project in terms of uh, particularly the impact on uh, forested areas, steep slopes, uh, stream valley, buffers, floodplains, et cetera. So Josh could- I'll try could, to uh, address, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna turn it over to you, Josh. Uh, I'll, I'll try to address it kind of like wholly, but then if you have any questions after that, please feel free to follow up. The NRIFSD was prepared in accordance with the environment guidelines, the forest conservation regulations, and the forest conservation law. Um, it was originally done back in 2019 and recertified in 21. Um, the steep slopes are talking about that the intersect are not hydraulically adjacent, which is one of the requirements. They're heading away from the stream, not towards the stream. So that's why it wasn't carried up that slope. So it was very specific why they weren't carried up that slope because they are not hydraulically adjacent. Um, so, okay, let me, let me just stop right there because I think I understand what you just said, but I'm not sure. So I want to test this and I also want to clarify it for anybody else who's listening. What I think you're saying is that the point of avoiding uh, impact to, to, you know, putting a steep slope in the, in the area that's going to be disturbed or, or where there's going to be new construction is to avoid erosion of the, of, the, of the soil from that slope into a body of water. And what you're saying is that the erosion in this case is not going to be towards the stream. Is that what you're saying? If, if, if there is any erosion, it's not going to result in eroding of the slope into the waterway. Right. So basically the direction of that slope goes away from the stream, not towards the stream. And that's why the expanded buffers were not placed upon it. Okay. I see. Keep, keep going. I just want to make sure I understood what you're saying. Um, most of the construction is outside of the buffers. Like I said, there's only some in, impact from the sanitary line and from the driveway crossing it. The impact, most of the impact of the buffer was done years ago for the construction of the Butler building or the gymnasium building. That's an existing structure permitted and done with in accordance with law. It's a legally existing structure. Um, it's in relatively good shape and it can be re adaptively reused. So staff did not feel like it was appropriate to tear that out at the cost of the applicant not being able to reuse the building and then to create new construction to develop that same function somewhere else on the site, causing more disturbance and more clearing. Um, okay, so, but just to, I'm, again, I just want to clarify this so I make sure I understand. Usually there are, I'm more familiar with how this is treated when you have an existing structure that would be like a non-conforming use, which I don't think that's exactly what's going on here, but it seems like it's analogous because the argument is this is a building that, uh, today would not be considered in a location that would today not be considered appropriate if you were to, if you were starting from scratch and so the argument is that it, it's strongly disfavored if not uh, prohibited outright to expand that building I don't think anybody's arguing it needs to be ripped out so what is the analysis the staff use in considering whether or not it's appropriate to exp to an expand 
uh, an existing structure that's located uh, in what would otherwise be an area uh, that's not appropriate for development because it's in a it's in a stream valley buffered or other sensitive area. Right, we would not support expansion of that building. That building is not being expanded. It's being used in its current format. They're doing interior renovations and maybe some aesthetic renovations to the outside of the building, but the footprint of the building and the access to the building are not being changed. Um, actually, a lot of the existing features from the old school parking lots and other things that are in the Stream Valley buffer are being removed. This, the only thing remaining is this building, a grass area so they can have a maintenance and access around the building and a walkway so they can enter through the side to make sure they meet fire code and other issues. They have to have multiple exits from the building. Um, but so there is no expansion of that building. It's just adaptive reuse of an existing structure, which was oh. legally constructed. Okay, I see. So what you're saying is any new like walkway or, or whatever is basically de minimis. It's, it's... Correct. Okay. Uh, Okay, I didn't, again, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to make sure I understand what you're, what you're saying. Great. Um, so that's kind of how we looked at that. And we're looking at, when we do have stream value buffer encroachments that are unavoidable, we look at, uh, first we look at avoidance, then we look at minimization, then we look at mitigation. That's our, always been our policy of how we look at these things. It's an existing structure, so it can't be avoided. Um, they're not adding to that structure, so it has been minimized, and they are prov providing mitigation of 2.29 acres of supplemental planting in the Stream Valley buffer in the areas where the forest is either lacking or there is no forest in the Stream Valley buffer. So we are getting a net environmental benefit around the, the water source as a result of this application. So there's a bit of give and take here. We're allowing them to keep this existing structure, but we are also getting additional planting that's above and beyond any requirements for the site. Okay. Um, and I guess the last point is there was a specific uh, argument about consistency with the master plan. I looked at this language and the end, you know, I guess I'm not really sure how to read it. There's this discussion of, I guess in general terms of trying to preserve forest on the on some of these the properties in this area and then there's another sentence that says well this can be accomplished under existing zoning with clustering uh residences so how does the staff interpret that uh language in terms of what it what it permits or prohibits um, um as to this site I yeah I would say basically what it's saying is we're trying to protect these forests to prevent fragmentation to to maintain large clusters of that forest. We are impacting some of that forest stand. Um, the graphic that was used in the master plan is done at such a scale and hand-drawn that it was really difficult to pinpoint exactly where the edge of that stand was that they were trying to protect. This is at the very edge of that stand. And so staff looked at it, looked at the thing, and we also looked at the mitigation. We, we evaluated it and said, okay, this is appropriate here because of this. They are doing this to offset it. So while it says pr try to protect and minimize fragmentation, we did do that. It did not create new fragmentation. Okay, and I take it you're saying that's what distinguishes this from the Glen Mill Road case that Ms. Lee mentioned? I am not familiar with the Glen Mill Road case, so I can't comment on what was done there. 
Okay, so that that discussion was not had in terms of your interaction with the uh, residents who object to this application prior to the planning none board of, meeting. None of these points had been relayed to staff. Okay. Uh, okay, that um, that's helpful. I wanted to see if others had uh, questions or comments, uh, and then see if the applicant had anything they wanted to add. Oh, Mr. Chair, I I had um other questions related to the uh, staff report that weren't specific to the environment. I'm, I, I had some questions, but I, uh, Mr. Penn addressed all those, and I'm uh, comfortable with the environmental issues that were raised. Um, is this the time you want me to raise other, or do you want to hear from the applicant first? Well, you might want to raise them just so the, then the applicant uh, can understand what your, is, what, uh, right. what your issues might be. Okay, so some of it is actually for staff, but um, the, the two major issues that I'd like to raise um, with regard to for staff is I, I would like a clearer, um, since what we're doing here today, what we're being asked to do is number one, make a recommendation with regard to the special, to the, to the uh, conditional use. And so I want to talk about that for a second. And then the other is um, because you know, well, there's three things. Because the preliminary plan will come back to the board, I want to, after the, you know, if in fact the conditional use is approved by the zoning, uh, the hearing examiner, I want to make sure that I'm clear on which conditions in this, uh, you know, there, there seem to be certain conditions or issues that would be more appropriate at the preliminary plan stage. I just want to make sure that we're keeping, you know, our, um, you know, our categories um, clear, um, but with regard to our recommendation on the conditional use itself, um, I am a little bit, and this would go to the applicant, I'd love to have a, a good discussion of the operational expectations. Um, my, um, it's kind of interesting, the reason I'm in is I'm partially helping my parents find <laughs> a, uh, a place to live and I looked at some some different um, facilities that are similar that are very similar to this, but um, what's projected it, or what's proposed. And I, I really love this the project and the way it's designed to have a lot of the tri duplexes, triplexes as individual individual ownership. But the question I have is, what is the association with the lodge? In other words, you've got your it. Is it a progressive care? Is there a guarantee that the people in the individual living units, um, not so much the ones that are kind of condo or co-op that are going to be in the lodge, but those uh, those individual, the duplexes, triplexes, I'm looking for that link between that and the lodge to, do to demonstrate that, in fact, it is a part of, and a, you know, a very clear part of this, you know, of a residential care um, unit and not what I saw in the letter to the hearing examiner, which, which, uh, pr which alleges that it's a loophole used to get, you know, some townhouses in. And then the other part of that, the reason I'm interested in the plan and the operational plan is that uh, if, if the uh, care unit is open to outs people who live outside of these um, uh, of these ownership units. 
So if somebody, let's say from uh, Bethesda, decides that they want to go into the into the lodge, for example, but not for permanent, um, not to live there, but for treatment, like a rehab facility or something of that nature, because that would, in fact, impact some of the uh, transportation questions that have been raised. And I think with that, um, I've put all my questions on the table for right now. Okay, maybe now would be a good time to turn to the applicant to address those questions. And if um, Ms. Harris, looks like she's here on screen, uh, wants to say anything else that we haven't covered, uh, now would be a good time. Thank you. Uh, for the record, Pat Harris with Lerturlian Brewer, which with me is Ken Warmold of the Warmold Companies, who is the applicant. We also have our the rest of our team on at the meeting today as well. Um, I first want to thank staff. They have spent an inordinate amount of time on this application. They have done an extremely thorough job, and they've also provided very um, constructive and useful comments that have been incorporated into the design that you saw. So we appreciate that. What I first want to do is turn it over to Ken to give a little bit of just a very brief background um, on how we got here, and then I will take it from there and address um, both the comments um, that the that, uh, Commissioner Ruman just raised, as well as touching on a couple other items. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ken, and then I'll, I'll come back to address the other comments. Ken? Yes, good morning. Uh, so my name is Ken Warmald uh, with the Warmald Companies. I grew up in Potomac. Our development company was founded in Potomac over half a century ago. All three of my children attended the Fourth Presbyterian School. I served on the board of directors of the school and various committees for approximately 10 years from 2004 to 2014 and was involved in several of the improvement projects on the property. In the summer of 2008, we had building permits in hand to start the construction of our high school. The completion of that construction would accommodate a 400 student school, complete with fields, classrooms, meeting facilities, ca cafeteria functions, busing, teachers, parents, and teenage students driving in and out of the campus each day, <clears throat> and all the other aspects of running a pre-K through 12th grade school. We also had long-term plans for future expansions, such as a complete rebuild of the pre-K through elementary buildings by the existing gymnasium, Unfortunately, despite all this momentum, the 2008 financial crisis came that fall just before groundbreaking and the financing for the project was pulled. Long story short, the school lost a lot of enrollment thereafter as area families struggled financially to pay for private schooling and the school was not able to pull together the resources to build the high school, which was a key piece of our growth plans. Eventually, after enrollment continued to drop, the school made the very difficult decision to close in 2014. After the school closed, the ownership of the property evaluated their options. From 2014 to very recently, various schools have approached the ownership seeking to build out their program in this location, especially given we already had a full construction document to build out a high school. As the ownership considered their options, we looked at the Potomac subregion master plan to see how the community and planners wanted to see Potomac grow and redevelop existing infill properties. The outcome of that research led us to upscale senior living with a strong independent living component, which the master plan called for based on the region's demographics and current supply of senior living. Interestingly, there has been no uh, independent living units built in the subregion since the 2002 master plan. 
The concept of Heritage Potomac encapsulates some of the best practices in senior living today, which are responsive to how seniors actually want to live. Heritage Potomac also represents a strong model for contextualized development and that the project is intended to blend in with the surrounding neighborhood through architectural styling that mimics some of the most beautiful single family homes of Potomac. Most seniors through nationwide polls say they prefer to retire in a home that is more similar to the one they currently live in, in their hometown, but that provides the type of floor plan and services they need. The cottages at Heritage do this with owner suites on the main level, lock and go maintenance free living, and a full suite of services available as physical and social needs arise. At Heritage Potomac, residents can age in place gracefully by transitioning from independent cottage style living or apartment independent living to assisted living and memory care when physical needs become more apparent. The Heritage Lodge rests at the lowest and most sheltered point of the property at or below the heights of neighboring roofs containing independent living, assisted living and memory care living in residences with three dining rooms and services for the entire community. We look forward to bringing this needed contextually compatible residential care facility to Potomac. Thank you, Ken. Um, to, to quickly summarize, and then I'll get into the questions. Um, the project as the staff report does a good job of demonstrating clearly meets all of the requirements of the zone. Um, and I would say from the both the conceptual design, contextual design and the numbers themselves, it, it shows that the project is compatible. And I just want to highlight a couple of these. One is this project is 84% less dense than what the zoning ordinance allows. Its lot coverage is only 13% or 25% is permissible. It's 76% of the site is devoted to green area and 80% of the um, existing forest is preserved. Th those numbers are really to some extent off the charts when compared to other similar type projects. Um, in terms of the environmental questions that were raised, staff did a very good job of addressing the, the Stream Valley buffer um, and the erodible soils issue. I just wanna comment very briefly on the tree issue. And that is in evaluating other uh, large lot projects, I would say the average of forest cleared is typically north of 30%. Here we are, as we noted, 20%. Um, and when you, one looks at the specific recommendations of the master plan as it relates to that map F, what it says, and we are, this area is categorized as a category four, and the sector plan specifically says the highest level of protection should be afforded to categories one, two, and three. And then it goes on and says that the purpose in general is to ensure that the existing high quality forest stands are quote given consideration that certainly is not a mandate it's that the areas should be afforded consideration and as staff noted there's um, generous mitigation um, occurring here for the minor amount of forest that is being cleared in that area um, to go to ms rubin's uh, question about the interrelationship between the cottages and the lodge. Um, let me start off by saying that the independent living units that are the cottages will avail themselves of all of the same services available to the independent living units that are located within the lodge. And so what does that mean? It means 
the dining services, it means the transportation shuttle that is on site, it means all of the amenities, the health and wellness programs, um, and the various other programs that are provided. Like any other IL I, residential care facility, the independent living units will be subject to a base fee to cover those kinds of items. And then there will be a, a continuation of sort of an a la carte menu as the needs of those residents increase. Um, the lodge is not, and I think maybe we need to do a little bit better job of explaining this because actually we were at the West Montgomery Civic meeting last night and this specific issue was asked. And that is, if you're living in Bethesda, you, but you're not a resident of Heritage Potomac, you cannot avail yourself of the services within the within the community. The services in the community are for all of the residents, with exclusively are for the residents within the community. Um, and then in terms of sort of the progression, if you are living in an independent living cottage and you find yourself, your needs have increased such that you either need the assisted living or the memory care, certainly if there's room available, you may move up to one of those higher, higher um, care units. Um, and that's similar in any uh, residential care facility that has a progression of services. Now, I'm assuming that it, at, like in any other project, possibly it could, there could be a situation where there, where there isn't available room when a resident needs it. Um, but certainly the, the intent of having a residential care facility is there's a progression of services. Um, so I hope that answers that question. And, um, Commissioner Rubin, did you have other questions or need other information to get uh, regarding the interrelationship of the uses? No, I, I think that um, you've answered it. It's it's very, very similar to the facility that um, I'm actually looking at with my parents. So it's um, because the, you know, just because the, the ownership, I understand what you're saying is the ownership is one thing because they're independent and it, it it allows somebody to actually age in place in their own home. But because they are, I, I wanted to understand that they're closely associated with the, um, with the services, the progressive services as needed to avoid the, uh, it, it, it's not essentially uh, creating um, and I'm uh, what the, uh, uh, what the uh, Citizens Associate, uh, the West Montgomery Citizens Association's attorney presented as a as a loophole, because you you know you're not going to be living in if you're going to have to. It sounds to me like there's a, a significant. Um, it's not just a condo fee or a it's a care fee, because there are there are uh, services provided that are very specific to aging and the needs and desires of, of that community. And I think it's very similar to what I've looked at. Um, and so I'm satisfied that it's it, there's a good, but I would like to address one thing and I would like to see um, some condition, a recommendation for condition that makes that very clear in um, in the, the, the board's recommendation on the um, conditional use to the, um, to the hearing examiner. I just don't think that that's covered enough uh, in that uh, that tie, um, Ms. Harris, you indicated that there were some similar concerns. So I'd like to see if if you could work with staff 
on a um, uh, coming up with a condition that works, that ties it together and makes it very clear in the conditional use that the cottages are are very closely associated and, and in fact incorporated as part of the progressive care uh, facility. We can certainly do that. And I mean, I think what I want to emphasize is the progression of care would be no different than if everyone was housed under the same roof. I mean, it, yeah. all the same level of services are available to those individuals in the cottages, but we can work with staff to craft some kind of language. Great, thank you. Thank uh, you. Jerry Sishi, um, can I just, I just uh, follow up question on that? In terms of the ownership of the individual townhouse units, is that ownership of the building and the ground, or is it more of a kind of co-op or condo? What happens? Um, yes, yeah, so the independent living units that are in the what we're calling the cottage units will be delineate, delineated on ownership lots, and so it would be a fee interest in the ownership lot. So it's the structure and then just the immediate area that constitutes the lot surrounding the that portion of the independent living unit. All right, and are you, if you own that, are you free to move to sell that on your own, or you have to go to the kind of association? You would be free to sell it on your own, and I'm going to, but obviously, given the conditional use application, right. um, it, you could only sell it to someone that qualifies for an independent living okay. unit, meaning in terms of the, the age requirement. And, and if the immediate owners, uh, uh, man or woman or whatever the situation might be, if they need to go to the additional care unit, what happens? One person can stay or the other person has to make the move as well? They one person could move to memory care or assisted living, and the other one could stay in the cottage okay. if that were the preference of the owners. Yes. Okay. And, and then if and some if, if the owners for some reason were to pass away, the unit can be sold on the public market, or it has to go through your uh, association. I mean, um, the, say children uh, that you know, children of the owners. Can they then sell that unit? But again, I understand it has to be someone that qualifies. They can go ahead and sell that unit independently? Yes. And there are, you know, there's a master association that will have double double bootstrapping to okay. make to ensure these things. But yes. And that's really no different than, you know, there are a few condo type independent living projects within the county, and that is how they are structured. Okay, all right, thank you. Thank you. And, um, okay, so, I'm sorry, um, Ms. Harris, following what uh, Commissioner Sishi was saying, is there going to, and maybe that's part of the, the way that the condition can be written, is the covenants uh, obviously would require that it be retained in the same, with the same restrictions mm -hmm. that are consistent with the conditional use um, for ownership so that, you know, um, it could be sold on the market, but anybody buying it is aware of those strict limitations and of the cost of the care that would be paid on a regular basis, uh, or I would say more of a cost of the, which is going to be a high, higher end than, than the simple, uh, you know, homeowners association fee, but it would be much more, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, covenants that would allow or uh, con continuation of um, of the benefits that you that
that a resident would receive as part of the care facility. So and that is exactly what, yes, that's very reflective of what our thinking was of how to approach this, that there would be a declaration of covenants. So again, we're, we can craft a condition that we're open to a condition that so states that. Okay, and then one other thing, I just don't want uh, to lose this point I had asked that um, it be that the conditions be very written a little bit clearer uh, by staff that addresses those things that would be part of a preliminary plan approval versus, you know, there's things in there about at what building permit something can be, has to be done, et cetera, et cetera. And my question is, is whether those are more appropriate conditions as part of a preliminary plan or if they are going to be to indicate that the preliminary, what the preliminary plan will cover. I just want to make it you know, I just want to keep everything in the right box. That's and we had that discussion with staff, and I think what they had said, and they can chime in, is they didn't want an issue where we were, where when we got to preliminary plan, and they said they're looking for X, and we said, well, that didn't come up during conditional use. So we're actually okay with the conditions, but for okay. two, which I did want to speak about very briefly. Um, All right. And if if I could go to that very quickly. Okay. So, so conditions. May, may I interrupt real quick? Sorry. Ms. Harris and um, yes. yeah. Commissioner Rubin, but if um, I'll I'll circle here with staff in just a second. But I mean, if there are some timing um, conditions that are would be more appropriate at preliminary plan, we could state at the time of preliminary plan, um, you know, and, and then follow up with the rest of the the condition. I mean, that's something that I can ask. Uh, maybe Josh and uh, Patrick can take a look at that real quick, but. Um, because I think that would cover both the concern that that Commissioner Rubin had, but also addresses yours as well, Ms. Harris. That that you know it we're bringing it up now, but it would be something that would be followed through with at, at subdivision. And actually, and actually so very very two conditions that I was going to talk about, which are conditions eleven and twelve. I mean, we if you want to preface those by saying at preliminary plan, it will be considered. Um, the issue there, conditions 11 and 12 had to do with the extension of the sidewalk down to South Glen Road and then providing a sidewalk along the frontage of South Glen Road. And while we are definitely understand the promoting walkability, and we've done that within the interior of the site, I think you can see that very clearly. Our concern about those conditions are purely a safety concern. And that is the average age of the person moving in here and into the IL units is probably around 75 years old. And inevitably, some people are going to have some cognitive issues. We don't want to provide a sidewalk that leads to the frontage of the property and then ends and goes nowhere. And there's no other sidewalk anywhere on South Glen Road. And we don't want to encourage walking for seniors on South Glen Road. We would be happy to provide, to fund the sidewalk when a more comprehensive network came in. So it's not a cost issue, it's purely a safety issue. So other than that, we accept all of the conditions. I don't know, um, Mr. Cronenberg and commissioners, whether it's more appropriate to put those two conditions and discuss them at time of preliminary plan, um, but, but we'd like some consideration. Of well, those. let me, I just wanna jump in here because I just wanna remind everybody that we are not the decision makers on this. And as a consequence, I think it's most appropriate to 
raise these these t- issues in general terms in our comments to the hearing examiner rather than number one trying to sort it out right here and now or even number two trying to sort out specific language offline between the applicant and planning staff partly just because you know in the interests of just openness and transparency we want to make sure everybody who's interested in this application has sort of has an equal opportunity to participate that and partly because really there's no need for it because you guys are going to all go argue about this in front of the hearing seminar all over again so i just want to just back everybody up for a minute uh and just remember that perspective that this is not where we need to you know drive these issues to ground this we can yeah, i think Mr. we Chair, that's exactly what i was trying to get to is yeah. that there are certain site-specific conditions that really aren't part of the hearing examiner's consideration for the conditional use. And I didn't want to get too far ahead before that, that those kinds of design issues are fine-tuned to give the, the, um, the applicant the opportunity to raise things um, of that nature. So yeah. I agree with what you're saying. Very good. So I would just suggest, um, Carol, if you could frame a couple of general comments uh, to, that get at the issues that you were trying to lay out that we could put in the uh, transmission to the hearing examiner. And I think we could save ourselves a lot of time and energy right now, and for that matter, even post this hearing before the hearing examiner, so, because we don't really need to send our staff to go haggle about it. We can basically frame these questions for, for the hearing examiner's consideration, and, and then that uh, fight can be had there, or, or friendly discussion, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Hopefully, it's friendlier, but you know, whatever. People can decide how contentious they want to be, I guess. So, uh, Carol, could you maybe summarize what you think uh, are the relevant points that should be in that uh, letter, and perhaps you could wrap that up into a motion on uh, the recommendation. Okay, but before I do that, do we want to hear from Mr. Butler because he was starting to talk, and then well, if yes, and and Patrick, this is your chance to decide whether or not, in light of what I just said, you really want to wade into it. But go ahead, (laughs) use your judgment. Let me me go ahead and throw a little more on top of that. Uh, No, I I think uh, honestly, Ms. Harris' suggestion uh, for the two conditions clarifying that any improvements associated uh, with this application be determined at preliminary plan, a simple statement like that is is perfectly fine. I wanted to make sure, uh, Commissioner Rubin, were those the conditions you were specifically talking to, or were there some others that we we needed to consider? So I'll I'll turn it back over to you. But for those two improvement conditions, I think that's fine to add that clarity. Yeah, I, actually, that's great. That's exactly what I was going with because they seemed more as I was reading it. Uh, the the recommendations it, those seem to be more uh, those site specific conditions are uh, are more appropriate, um, and maybe the way that you framed it would work and our recommendation to the hearing examiner would be indicating that um, conditions that are are more appropriate at preliminary plan will be addressed at that time because I don't want to have a recommendation in there that really may change and then we're you know you've already gotten your your you know you've gotten your resolution or your approval and it, it touches on something that uh, we would want to have some flexibility about when the preliminary plan comes before us. So I think, so I think Mr. Mr. Buck, you suggested 
does that. And then I would add um, a condition that makes it clear that says the um, uh, covenants that the the there will be covenants that will uh, you know to require covenants for all the ownership units, you know whether it's the the uh, cottage units or the the indiv individual living units in the lodge. There will be covenants that um, that uh, provide for um, a clear link between the um, the conditional use restrictions of age and and disability, if that's what it is, um, along with um, the benefits uh, and allowing for the benefits that are provided to all residents of the um, uh, of the care unit of the care facility, and maybe that. That's the way. I, that's what I'm looking for. So, does that does that give you enough information to go with um, uh, both? Absolutely. Like, okay. Yep. yep. Both those. We can we can revise that to make sure that where the the conditions here that we're recommending uh, approval of will be specific to the conditional use, and then um, either rewording or removing uh, certain conditions that are truly preliminary plan. However, it will still be reflected in the transmittal letter um, in, in some way. So um, I think you've given us plenty. Great. Thank you. Well, I'm going to support this project along those lines and maybe wrap this up into a motion. But before I do that, I just wanted to say uh, that I really like this project. You know, there is an effort both in the county and on the state to make sure that our seniors are staying within Maryland. That's an issue that has been at the forefront in recent times that people are leaving here. And we know a dynamic place to live is one that has diversity and, and uh, age groups and, and other demographics. So this is an important project. Uh, I particularly like the design. Uh, I think Warmald Homes does a great job. And I think you've always done a, a excellent um, execution of your uh, facades, uh, and I'm familiar with one of your residential architects, uh, lab architects, who does a great job with some of your um, uh, residential homes. But just wanted to say that you're doing a, a, a great service, and I think this is an important need. And I, I think creating these kind of villages where you have a little bit more density and you do have a lodge that provides services is going to serve these communities well because people will stay within their own communities, and it creates the kind of social interactions, as the chair has referred to, the social capital that we all seek, particularly at a time where many of us feel disconnected. So I am ready to move forward with the motion per Commissioner Rubin's uh, comments on the conditional use. So that, I'm going to take that as a motion to transmit the recommendation for approval, including the staff's. Uh, recommendations and comments as well as what uh, Carol had outlined uh, concerning. Yeah, I, uh, I'll second that, but um, uh, uh, Commissioner Romer, were you also going to make a motion on the forest conservation? Yes, I was going to do a second one. Yeah, pro I I'd split it up. Technically, I guess you should do the forest conservation first, but it probably doesn't matter. Uh, could you get a motion on the forest conservation plan? Sure. I'll make a motion to approve the preliminary forest conservation plan. And I'll, I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. Okay, now. And I'll make a motion on the conditional use, also as articulated by Commissioner Rubin. Is there a second? Yes, I'll second. 
All in <laughs> since it, he's recommending to do what you said. Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is approved. Good luck to everybody uh, in front of the hearing examiner. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks, Thank buddy. you, commissioners and Thank staff. You. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, and I believe that we're adjourned. Good.